0: I was so full, I thought I'd explode. But as I looked at that last piece of chocolate, I knew I'd eat it, even if it killed me. This is Gillian Abbott with a year of mindful eating stories from the food I eat. Practicing mindful eating helped me shed pounds. But a year on, my weight plateaued. And then, to my horror, Earlier this year, it spiked again. Time to hit the reset button. I'm intelligent, resourceful, strong and hardworking. I have many achievements under my belt, but I don't seem to be able to control what goes in my mouth. Why am I so fat? As regular listeners know, my journey towards mindful eating began two years ago in naturopath Dr. Tom Franscott's transformational cleansing workshop at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. His seven-day workshop includes a menu rich in juices, vegetables, fruits and healthy oils such as avocados, olive oil and coconut oil. But somehow, I had drifted away from these core principles of healthy eating and mindful eating. When my oldest daughter's chronic health condition flared and she almost died, I turned to old habits and added those pounds back. With the weight came craving for sugary foods, for bread and foods like potato chips. I felt helpless in the face of these cravings. And while it was clear that they arose out of my anxiety for my daughter's condition, I just didn't have the wherewithal to resist. Over the years, I've tried other excellent programs, but none worked for me the way Franz Gotts did. The first time was life-changing, and so once my daughter recovered, I revisited his workshop. A couple of weeks after the cleanse, I caught up with Fran Scott at the Guest House Retreat and Conference Centre in Chester, Connecticut. Some of the people listening might not even know what cleansing is. Can you explain it and talk about how you see its role in health and weight loss?
1: It's an underutilised therapy in conventional medicine.
0: When did you first become aware of cleansing?
1: I initially discovered it when I personally did cleansing for myself. I did a juice cleanse of just drinking juice and I had soup at night. And I was amazed at how not only my body changed and you know maybe I lost some weight, but it was more that I just, my perspective, my attitude, my mood all improved. So then I started thinking about, wow, just a simple practice and what could that do for someone that has many health conditions?
0: Can you briefly describe the thinking behind your naturopathic approach to weight loss?
1: A major component of optimizing health with people is looking at how the liver functions and how the kidney functions and how cleansing for the body can really facilitate letting go of whether it's chemicals or processing and metabolizing foods.
0: What's the root of this approach?
1: The history of naturopathic medicine is really based on therapeutic cleansing, whether it was saunas whether it was hot baths, we're all based on this principle of, of cleansing. Even when the Native Americans would do sweat lodges, that's an idea of spiritually cleansing. It's not only helping the body and the skin, with intention, it, it's also changing attitudes and emotions and it's bringing up in our awareness uh, things that we might wanna look at and address in our lives.
0: He went on to explain toxicity, and its role in health and weight loss.
1: The metaphor that I work with is that it's about letting go of toxic material, whether that's physical for the body, or emotionally for the heart, or even mentally toxic thoughts for the mind. So it's a process of resetting, giving people a break, and letting the body catch up to what it needs to do to metabolize their life, whether it's physically, food, or nutritionally or emotionally.
0: What's the most important aspect to focus on?
1: The critical component is a mindfulness-based approach where we really look at what is going on for us individually because cleansing is a metaphor for letting go and transforming old material that's no longer useful and really allowing space to bring in healthy cells and healthy nutrients. So. If we are more aware of our actions and our behaviors that drive our eating habits, that drive our lifestyle choices, then we'll be more able to slow down, assess, and perhaps shift patterns.
0: This really resonated with me. I think it's the reason I like his program so much. I see my weight as a puzzle, and the food that goes in my mouth is just the final step in a long process. Franscott goes deep into food, nutrition, and healing, but deeper into why we eat. He identified food that strengthens our health, such as broccoli, and those that undermine it, which for Franscott is just about any food that comes pre-packaged in a box. We explored the nutritional content of food, its function in the body, and its impact on the good bacteria in our bellies. Marianne Duma Fellow traveller and participant in the cleanse told me that cleansing had changed her life. You may have seen her on Saturday Night Live, where she's a regular extra. Why do you detox? What are the benefits? When you cleanse,
2: remarkable things happen to your body.
0: What is it about Tom's approach that works for you?
2: The reason I went to Tom's cleanse was because I was diagnosed um, pre-diabetic. So TOMS is plant based exclusively and juicing and it's getting rid of animals that we ingest that have been given hormones that cause these things to happen in our body or the milk products from animals who are pregnant all the time, TOMS doesn't allow those allergic foods.
0: The path is simultaneously challenging and enlightening. Together we fathomed unhealthy or even, in my case, abusive use of food. In my first 10 years in America, my only connections were my husband's family. Then disaster struck. A freak accident left him in constant pain. His drinking spiked and he became violent. Inevitably, doctors pushed prescription painkillers on him and our lives descended into hell. I was left alone in a foreign country with three children and no money or human contact. Food was my only friend, my entire support system, and I nearly ate myself to death.
1: The program is about trying to bring awareness to people so that they recognize their, perhaps, unhealthy patterns and habits. And how can we weave in some healthier ways to go about eating, ways to go about living, ways to go about being happy? Because I think, ultimately, at the end of the day, It's about letting go of a lot of material on both the physical, mental and emotional and and ultimately, how do we help with the heart being more open, full of love and feeling happy and joyous?
0: Yes, now we were getting somewhere. I was beginning to understand why I had turned to food in those dark, lonely days. Over the past few months, I had been thinking about food in terms of addiction it makes absolutely no sense that I can't control my eating.
1: Well, I think food like drugs, like exercise, can be addictive, can be medicating a feeling state, can be medicating our emotions. I view it as something that people go to for safety, for soothing, for emotional well-being, even though it might have secondary effects i.e. weight gain, obesity. So I do think it is addictive, but really the food itself is not so much addictive as our habits and our thoughts and our behavior. And when you look at babies and what we do uh, with children, to pacify them, we usually give them something sweet. So I think early on we learn this behavior that if I'm upset, someone will give me sweet. And then as we grow up, then we do that for ourselves. We medicate with sweet or we medicate with pastas or carbs because they're comfort food, they're soothing, they're our friends, you know, in those times of need. And so that's not wrong. Our body is trying to help support us through life, but sometimes we have to wake up to how the choices are impacting us and are there other ways to work with that feeling of depression or anxiety? And oftentimes it's just simply helping people connect the dots between I have anxiety and then I eat this way or I do this behavior, once they realize that then they're more likely to be able to change that for themselves and that's what gives lasting change when people make changes and have insight and feel empowered and inspired to move forward in their life.
0: He takes the idea even further trying to get to the root causes of putting unneeded food into our mouths.
1: It would be very easy for me to do a juice cleanse and say, see ya, but I'm trying to teach skills and tools that people will have for their life. People with weight issues, I think there's a lot of reasons, and there's many ways, and it's all individual. Sometimes it's physically toxic materials. If people have a lot of pesticides in their body, if people have a lot of heavy metals, they will tend to have more weight. If people are shut down emotionally, they've had a lot of grief, they've had a lot of pain in their life, potentially that's gonna drive behaviors uh, of eating. And if people have thoughts even, or memories of food, there's a lot that goes on with how people choose certain foods. And a lot of it is attached to a story.
0: This all makes perfect sense to me but I wondered how others looked at the same issues. I was delighted to discover that horticultural therapist Alan Wolf was staying at the guest house. I asked her about her work and her take on overeating. So Alan, what is a horticultural therapist?
2: Horticultural therapy means bringing plants and people together for challenged populations. For Franscott, Food addiction
0: is seeking comfort or support or repeating old patterns, often from childhood. Thinking about it, my mother's principal expression of love was through food. It's no wonder I turned to it when I had nothing or no one else. Wolf goes further on the issue of food and addiction than Franz got. Now, Alan, you've struggled with addiction yourself. Can you tell me about that?
2: I got into recovery for alcoholism 23 years ago, and after about two months my therapist suggested that I go to what's called Overeaters Anonymous, OA, to deal with eating addiction. So over the years I've done classes and workshops on mindful eating and incorporated that whole process into my life coaching business. Mindful eating is a practice of being in the now.
0: Focusing entirely on the food and breathing when eating. This means taking time to do nothing else besides eating at mealtime, and when eating, focusing on the taste, on chewing, and on the people
2: sharing our meal, leaving our problems and concerns to the side. I think food definitely is an addiction. It's a way that we can control our life. You know, many of us have been controlled, abused, gone through trauma.
0: Never in my wildest dreams did I imagine myself understanding what it means to be a victim of abuse. But now, because of the painkiller epidemic, I
2: knew exactly what she was talking about all the stories of our life to do with things that we've gone through. And things have been out of control, whether it's been parents or just people in our life. But food, we can control that. You know, nobody makes us pick up anything and put it into our mouth, whether it be alcohol, drugs, or food. But if you just stop drinking and stop doing drugs, then that's the end of that. But food, we have to eat. We have to eat to live. And so it's an ongoing battle, you know, and you pick up something and it tastes good. Well, more would be better. So you pick up another one and another one. Next thing you know, you've eaten six pieces of bread or 10 brownies or six pieces of cake. And then we make choices. We need to learn how to make choices of which types of food work best for our body. And as we learn our body and learn not just about calories and diet you know i don't ever think about myself as being on a diet or on a food program i just think about certain choices and things that work best for me
0: just as self-talk is a crucial element of maintaining a healthy balanced diet it's also crucial to the habit of overeating
2: when you are poor and then all of a sudden you're not poor anymore, you remember, it's like those old memories in your mind. You, you remember when it was, you know, well, I might not ever have this again. You know, I might never see this again. I mean, right now I'm at a conference, there's plenty of food, but the, it has entered my mind several times as I go through the line. Wow, there's something I haven't had for more. Let's eat six of these because I might never get this again. But that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna have food tomorrow or when I get home or somewhere else.
0: That's so interesting. I have a last meal about once a day. The most extreme example for me was when I went to England. I'm Australian and the traditional Aussie diet, to the extent that a 200-year-old country can have a traditional diet, is very similar to British cuisine. I was staying in King's Cross. I left my hotel room, went out onto Euston Road and immediately saw a fish and chip shop. Now, we don't have fish and chips in New York, and it had been a long time since I'd had real fish and chips. I had to go in, even though I'd already eaten. I had to have a serving of fish and chips. They were so delicious, not the insipid version you get at Irish pubs in New York City, but real fish and chips. I was in hog heaven. Then I left the shop, walked 10 feet, and saw another fish and chip shop and another, and another. They were everywhere. But I had felt if I didn't eat that meal then, I would never have the chance again. That feeling that I must eat as much as I can this minute was overwhelming. Each of these wonderful practitioners saw the issues we discussed from a slightly different angle, but far from contradicting each other, the two deepened my understanding of my relationship with food. I'm healthy for my size, and always had a lot of fruit and vegetables. I love sweetness, but have a solid foundation of mostly vegetables. How would you advise someone like
2: me with a chronic weight problem? We don't have to teach you how to eat vegetables to include that in your diet, because I do work with people that don't like vegetables and don't eat them, or have never eaten them and don't have any idea about vegetables. I know for me, I have learned that I really have to stay away from sugars. I'm not 100% about it. It's progress, not perfection. And I don't beat myself up about it. When you take a whole kernel of grain, be it rice, millet, barley, whole wheat, oats, whatever it is, and you grind it into flour and you take that flour and you mix it with a sweetener and a yeast well that's a fermentation and for me with the addict brain i think it's important to study and understand that if we are an addict if our brain is wired that way we have what's called drugs of choice and for me my drug of choice would be alcohol or food especially when i'm here in a retreat center that has different kinds of desserts and, you know, like real Maine beautiful blueberries in a, in a blueberry cobbler. And I also know that I'm only here for two or three days and then I'll be back on what's a usual program for me or choices that I make when I'm at home. So I've learned, you know, not to sabotage or beat myself up when I'm in a different location and having different kinds of food.
0: This reminded me that before I went to Franscott's workshop, i'd been craving bread after succumbing my eating got out of control food and eating are complex issues and talking to these two successful practitioners reminded me of what franscott had said earlier namely that each person's journey towards health is individual and we each have to seek the food philosophy and teachers who work for us earlier while on franscott's cleanse at the Amiga institute there were other healing factors at work. The beauty and tranquility of the Amiga grounds helped create a mindset conducive to focusing on food, nutrition and spiritual health. So did building fitness and strength by having to walk uphill and down dale to get to the workshop room, the dining hall, or to while away an hour beside the lake. Each day on Franscott's workshop, I made a point of walking Amiga's labyrinth an experience that is a journey and a metaphor. Labyrinths are circular pathways that lead to a central point. They are designed so that the walker moves towards the centre in a roundabout way, never approaching it directly. They're known for helping walkers get into a deep meditative state. As I circled, I thought about my weight. The words of my friend Michelle Cuomo's WordPress blog, Labyrinth365, came to me.
1: Taking one direction for
0: a while, maybe a long or a short walk, but it will always change.
1: And then even when I feel as if I've been down a path, actually it is another path alongside it, closer or further away from the centre.
0: I realise that my weight loss is a journey with many twists and turns, and that sometimes I'll be closer to the centre and at other times I'll be further away. The important thing is that I keep walking, keep meditating, and whenever I can, make healthy choices. I learned so much this second go round with Franscott's workshop. Although Amiga's new chef struggled with Franscott's menu, the program was an enormous success for me, strengthening my resolve to solve my weight problem and leaving me feeling kinder towards myself and others. A comedian once joked that fat is the worst addiction because people are so repulsed by fat people, we end up alone. Heroin addicts, he said, can always find companionship among their own kind. After the trauma of my husband's meltdown, I no longer wanted to be close to anyone, and being fat helped keep people away. And yet, the healthy part of me still craves contact with other humans. Here, fat really is the enemy. My fat does keep me isolated from others, but as I learn to forgive myself, that isolation is diminishing. When I got home from the cleanse, to my surprise, everything tasted so good. Even better, I just got my blood work back from the regular doctor and my blood sugar is still normal after all those years at pre-diabetic levels. There is something in the way Franscott brings together the physical, emotional and mental aspects of eating that works for me. I'm so grateful to him, to Amiga, and to the labyrinth that is life. Dr. Tom Franscott's transformational cleansing is held in May at the Amiga Institute. Details can be found on their website. Alan Wolf's program is called Seedfork.org. That's S-E-E-D-F-O-R-K. dot o r g on the next Mindful Mouth, I'll speak to Dr. Stanislav Groff, MD, a groundbreaking psychiatrist and author with over 50 years experience. He will discuss the role of the unconscious in overeating. And stay tuned as part three of my series explores the way the revolution in thinking about food is changing the way food is manufactured and sold. This episode will include a conversation with some of New York City's most dynamic young food entrepreneurs. We'll also hear from legendary tea entrepreneur Merrill J. Fernando. Thank you for listening. Check me out on the SoundCloud at A Year of Mindful Eating for more episodes. Please follow and like my podcast there and at The Mindful Mouth on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter at Jan Abbott. So share it, and join me for another serving of A Year of Mindful Eating next time. A Year of Mindful Eating, Stories from the Food I Eat, was written and performed by me, Gillian Abbott. Theme music was written and performed by Lauren Butcher. Story edited by Joanne Perpich and Dolores Edwards. Producer, sound engineer and mixer is Leonard Collier. Executive producer is me. Featuring music from Leo Rader and his psychedelic flute. Additional music by Musical Man. Copyright, Fourth Genre Productions, 2016. I paid for the tuition for the Transformational Cleansing Workshop. However, Amiga Institute provided my food and accommodation free of charge.